Amen. Good morning, everyone. Not much going on in our world this week, huh? I want to share uh, just a note on the events um, of the past week. A few words from the book of Revelation have been going through my mind. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. And listen to what they're saying. They're crying out in a loud voice, and some of you know what they're saying, right? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And you know, the truth is, no matter who holds the highest office in this country, the truth remains. Salvation belongs to our God. And His salvation came through the only flawless candidate that ever has or ever will exist. And his candidate does not need to be reelected or elected every four years. He is eternal. And as kingdom citizens, friends, under the rule and reign of King Jesus, our first allegiance remains to our Lord Jesus Christ and his purposes. And so no matter where things move or go in the, next, the course of the next few weeks or months, the truth remains salvation belongs to our God. Our inheritance is both eternal and secure. Our true hope remains firmly established on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that being said, we do live in America. And this is where he has chosen to plan us. And some of us live here and will live here for our entire lives, and some of us live here for a season. America is a great nation in this world, among many other great nations. We enjoy freedoms in our country that are not available in some other countries. And those freedoms, the ones that we enjoy here, they have been secured for us in large part because of the sacrifice of men and women who have given up their own personal comfort and securities in order to lay down their lives and sacrifice for the good of our nation and its people. And so today I want to take a moment and personally express my deepest gratitude to our veterans. Those who are here in this building today and those who are watching online, I want you to know you are appreciated. Thank you. And we continue in the book of Ruth this morning. All that's going on in our world and we continue steadfast in the word of God because we know that that is our surest hope and foundation. And so we will start with our memory verse from the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1 verse 16. Let's say it together. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Ruth 1, 16. 
Today we will continue to further explore and unpack this marvelous book that we've been looking at together, and we want to seek to answer the following question in our time together this morning. How does Jesus, how does God demonstrate his goodness and grace, his provision and protection in seasons of famine and difficulty? As we gather together today, some of us here have gone through seasons of famine in our lives. Some of us have walked through seasons of difficulty, seasons of turmoil. Many of us have found hope and comfort in our Lord. But how does he demonstrate it to us in the midst of those seasons? Indeed, in our text, both famine and difficulty had informed the lives of Ruth and Naomi. As we open chapter 2 today, and that's where we're going to be if you want to take your Bibles and turn to Ruth chapter 2. As we open chapter 2 today, we're faced with two widows who are settling into their new home, their new environment, the new realities that encompass it with limited provisions and little protection. How will God provide? Ruth chapter 2. Verses 1 to 14, let's pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, we acknowledge that you indeed are the God who does provide. You give to us out of abundance, Lord, out of overflow. You are our refuge, our strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. Lord, today we look to the narrative of Naomi and Ruth. We pray that you would reveal how you demonstrate your goodness and your grace to us, even in the midst of difficulty. That we might take hope, that we might be encouraged, that we might go forth and know in our lives when we walk through difficult seasons, when the pain of life encompasses and surrounds us, that we can grab hold of a hope that you are a good God who's always working for our good and your glory. Help us treasure and live those truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Ruth chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came. And she has continued from early morning until now, except 
for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? Because I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, and you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers. And he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. As it turns out, all hope was not lost for Naomi and Ruth. The Lord was at work. He had prepared, and not only had he prepared, but he had actually harvested a man, and the man's name was Boaz. And Boaz now enters and becomes a significant part of this narrative. Up until now, the narrative in the first few weeks we've been together has taxied around the difficult circumstances of Naomi and her immediate family. But the Lord has not abandoned or turned his back on Naomi after all. Naomi and Ruth are settling into a new home. They have a new environment. And what is most pressing in the circumstances that they find themselves in after shelter is the need, the physical need for food. So how would Naomi find provision, not only for herself, but also for this immigrant woman, Ruth, who had determined to cling to Naomi? And the writer of the book of Ruth, who many scholars agree was Samuel, reminds us throughout the narrative of Ruth, Ruth's status as an immigrant. He tags, and if you see in our text this morning, multiple times the word the Moabite following her name. He wants us to remember that Ruth was an alien. She was a stranger. She was a foreigner to the land of Israel. Coming to the book of Ruth after reading the book of Judges, remember they flow together, especially in the Old Testament, the two books are fitted together very tightly. And if you read the book of Judges, towards the end of the book of Judges, there is a very, very devastating account of the treatment of a foreigner. And so when you come to Ruth out of the book of Judges, there should be concern for how Ruth is going to be treated among the people. And among the nation of Israel, to step out into a world of uncertainty filled with strangers, a world of new ways and new social structures and new customs, new patterns of living. Indeed, 
This was an act of faith for Ruth. And Ruth's tone has changed in chapter 2, and it's important for us to make that observation. In chapter 1, what does Ruth want to do? She wants to cling. She wants to stay with Naomi. But look at how her tone changes in chapter 2. Ruth must go. Look at verse 2. Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi said, go, my daughter. Ruth somehow has these, uh, an understanding and a knowledge of Israel's gleaning provisions. We're unsure how, probably because of Naomi. What is going on here? How is Ruth able to leave their home and go and take from a field that doesn't belong to her? And the answer is found in the book of Leviticus two times, Leviticus 19, 9, and 10, also in Leviticus 23, 22, and again in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 19 to 21. Here's what's going on here. This is from the book of Leviticus. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. Verse 10. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. When this law is actually repeated in the book of Deuteronomy, it actually comes with a promise that the Lord's blessing will follow those who indeed practice this aspect of the law. What is interesting here, friends, is that we are taught early in the Bible that the love of God is demonstrated to the most vulnerable and marginalized of a population by making sure that they would have a share of the bounty of his harvest. It's God's harvest, is it not? The harvest belongs to God. And the harvest is evidence of his goodness and his grace. And that is why he calls us to share it with others. Especially the most vulnerable among us. Those who otherwise might not know in the season of life that they're in. They might not know of God's goodness and God's grace. The poor, the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner. They're not to get the leftovers of the harvest, rather they are invited by God to share in a portion of it. Ruth is participating in the harvest. There is sweat equity involved. She is working as an immigrant woman to provide for her family. It's difficult and taxing work. What these laws are truly about is God's providential Provision. Because, friends, all life is important. And all people are created in the image of God. And God has made a way for those who are at most at risk of being taken for granted or overlooked to partake in the fruit of the harvest. And perhaps of even greater importance, we, we often look at these passages and what we see is we see the physical provision. 
We see the material provision. But I believe in the book of Ruth that what is perhaps of even greater importance than the physical or the material provision that God sets aside for his people who are vulnerable, what is more important is the providential relational provisions and encounters that God has determined as his people follow and apply the law to their lives. This is not just about God providing physical needs, but also about God producing relational fruit. We have said this before, that God does everything with purpose. And that there is no such thing as an accidental encounter. Every encounter we have every day is a divine appointment that's set up by God. And certainly here, we see this principle playing out in the life of Ruth. Verse 3, so she set out and she went and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. And watch how the writer says this. And what? She happened. She happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz. The writer wants to draw out the providential aspect of this encounter by intentionally using those words, and she happened to. This is truly a divine encounter with a man. And, and Boaz, boy, we're going to learn a lot about Boaz. Boaz is a man who, for his time in history, was truly set apart among men. His faith was expressed in his obedience to follow the gleaning laws of the book of Leviticus. And by his obedience, God would provide for Naomi and Ruth's physical needs while also producing and bearing relational fruit for Ruth, for Boaz, and his home. When we come to the Bible, oftentimes the first words that the Bible attributes to a character speak to something about that person's character. And we must remember that this was a time, remember the context of the book of Ruth, flowing from Judges. What do we know about the book of Judges? That this was a time where everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and there was no king in Israel. However, Boaz was different. He was different. And if we needed a reminder that there was still, in the midst of all the madness of Judges, if there was still a faithful remnant remaining in the land of Israel in this period, Boaz is our strong reminder. Verse 4, his first words, the Lord be with you. And how does his home respond? How do his people respond? The Lord bless you. What is inspiring and motivating about Boaz's first words is that they show us that he was a man of standing in his home. That his faith had not just made a difference in his life, but also in the lives of those who were working for him as they respond to him in the like. Boaz's motivations for his behaviors and how he responds to Ruth is very clear from the very first words that he speaks. He is a man of the Lord. God has had a part in shaping both his character and the character of his home. Boaz's faith is working. It is active. 
It has had an influence on not just himself, but also it's had an influence over his entire home. There's compassion in his home. There's order. There's kindness. There's protection. There's leadership. There's provision. Boaz has ordered his house. There are men and women working together in the fields. He has leaders in positions overseeing the workers. And isn't it interesting? The order of Boaz's house is now contrasted against the disorder that we find in the book of Judges. Book of Judges, chaos, disorder. Book of Ruth, grace, order. And Boaz must have knew his workers well because in the narrative, his gaze and attention seemingly almost immediately shift to this Moabite woman that did not fit in. He doesn't recognize her. The words he says in verse 5, whose young woman is this? In, in Hebrew, quite literally, the phrase means, where does this woman fit in? Boaz only knew where she fit in. Boaz's servant who is working for him is quick to answer that Ruth is connected to Naomi and that she had been working hard in the field, gleaning from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Did you catch that in the text? Remember the contrast we talked about in the first week between sojourn and rest? Rest indeed is an interesting word to use here. For we remember that in Ruth chapter 1, Naomi desired that her daughters-in-law would find rest in the homes of their future husbands. Look at the text. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. But in Naomi's wildest dreams, she could have never put this story together. Only God's sovereignty and providential love could bring this to bear. Naomi could have never imagined that the same clan that produced her husband, Elimelech, would also produce her daughter-in-law, Ruth's future husband. And with that, that one day Ruth would find rest in the house of an Israelite, a Pathrathite husband. The short rest that Ruth experiences in the harvest field at the end of verse 7 is a foreshadowing to the rest that she would soon find in the house of Boaz. And while verses 4 to 7 paint for us a picture of Boaz's ordered house, it is in the verses that follow where we would glean a true vignette of Boaz's heart. Who is this man that Ruth has met? Boaz's dealings with the immigrant stranger, Ruth, would be gentle, and they would be kind. And as we might imagine for that day, not every landowner, not every farmer was excited or thrilled about the idea of having strangers or foreigners coming onto their land and taking their crops. I mean, put yourself today in the shoes of a landowner or a farmer who may have an immigrant wander into your field and start picking up your crops. They were not all excited. In many of their minds, these people hadn't contributed. 
How would they be allowed to participate or partake in the bounty of a harvest that they haven't worked for? Not every Israelite recognized the love of God behind the law that they were dutifully bound to follow. Again, though, what we see, Boaz is different. His first words to Ruth are actually in verse 8. Look at his first words to Ruth, how gently and how kindly he addresses her. Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Boaz really does not want Ruth to leave, does he? Hey, my field's the best. Don't go anywhere else. This is where I want you to be. And there's a contrast again that emerges between the way that Naomi has dealt with Ruth. What has Naomi said to Ruth over and over again since chapter 1? Go away, go away, go away, turn back, go away, go away. Now Ruth has found rest in Boaz's home. And the, Bo- and, and the, the way that Boaz responds is a contrast against the way Naomi has responded. Draw near. Stay. Stay close. Boaz's words assure Ruth that there are friends here for her, other women, that she could follow their lead. And so what would happen in the day, we don't have a sickle up here, but we do have Ruth, very nicely done here. Uh, the men would get a, get a hold of a sickle, and they would go through the fields, and they would use the sickle, and they would cut the grain, and the women or the other men who were not using the sickle would follow behind and they would gather it up and they would gather it and tie it into sheaves. This would be what, Naomi, what Ruth would be doing. Not only were the days long and hot and dry at this time of year, very little rain this time of year in Israel, but you can imagine men and women working together in these conditions often led to other unspeakable problems. Especially true for those who were unknown, those who were foreigners and immigrants, who were even more vulnerable to being taken advantage of due to their lack of social equity within the community. They didn't have established relationships for other people to be held accountable to. Boaz was a man who had taken all these things into account and into consideration for those who were gleaning in his field. Ruth would not be an easy target for the men who were working in his field. The second part of verse 9 gives us clarity. Boaz says, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. The house of rest, friends, is a home where there is both protection and provision. And here Boaz is communicating both his protection over Ruth, the young men will not touch you, I protect you, and his provision for Ruth. When you're thirsty, go ahead and drink the water that my young men have drawn. Again, these were very unusual allowances. They were not Common. Boaz's behavior is uncommon, which is why it's highlighted in the book of Ruth. The person who was reaping the gleanings from the harvest would certainly not have been allowed to drink from the landowner's water or the landowner's vessels. Boaz is going above and beyond what was typically expected of landowners in his day. 
And Ruth's response to Boaz's kindness, how she responds to him in these moments, highlights both her humility and her gratitude. She does not take his kindness for granted. It's something we should take note of, friends. She falls on her face, bowing to the ground. In these moments, she's as close to the ground as one can possibly get at the feet of a man who she refers to as, lowercase l, Lord. And we have said in our first few lessons of the series that when people move back towards Jerusalem, good things happen, right? What we will also come to find, friends, is this, that the closer God's people come to his land of promise, the more reliant they are on his gift of the land and his provision of the land, the more they recognize the abundant blessing and providential provision of his hand. In chapter 2, the land is given a prominent theme. And it's interesting here, friends, because Ruth is not only attaching to the people of Naomi and the God of Naomi, but she is also becoming attached to the land of promise. We might even say this, that as Ruth becomes a worker of the land, partaking in its tremendous bounty, that Ruth, an alien and an outsider, is finding herself grafted in the promises of God. Verse 2 reveals that Ruth's desire was to go glean in a field of one whose sight she might find favor. And what does verse 10 reveal? Verse 10 reveals that the favor she sought was the favor she found. All exactly how God had designed and intended from the beginning. Further highlighting Ruth's humility is this beautiful wordplay that does not translate well at all in English, but is very beautiful in the Hebrew language. It's found at the very end of verse 10. If you look down at verse 10, I will say it as best I can. Uh, there, we, we don't use these words regularly, uh, especially the last word, but this is how it would be read in the Hebrew, that you should take recognition of me since I am un recognizable. So beautiful. The humility of Ruth, her approach to Boaz, her acknowledgement that Boaz would look upon her and accept her and receive her and bring her in as one of her own, even though she saw herself as unrecognizable. Boaz's response to Ruth's humble statement indicates that he understands and knows the great sacrifice that she has made on her mother-in-law's behalf. What does he say to her? All you have done, all you have done for your mother-in-law has been told to me. Your, your husband died and you clung to her. You left your own mother and father. You left your own native land. You came to a people you did not know. And friends, where does that take our minds in the Old Testament? That phrase, you came to a people you did not know, presses our minds back towards another biblical narrative from another time when there was a man who was called to leave a familiar land and a familiar people for a new and an unknown land. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Abram's story 
was a story. His narrative was a narrative of faith expressing itself in obedience. Ruth's narrative is a narrative of faith. Boaz's faith is expressing itself in obedience. Back in Ruth chapter 1, when we studied Ruth chapter 1, Ruth had placed an accountability on her words to Naomi, if you remember. She asked the Lord to deal with her as she dealt with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And as she has remained faithful, tending to and caring for Naomi as a farmer would tend to and care for his own land and his own fields, her work has been laborious. Even now she was gleaning in the fields in order to provide, and God, as she was being faithful, was also providing for her. Boaz's words in verse 12 give assurance. His words in the Hebrew language, may the Lord, Yehovah, reward your work and may your wages be full as given from the Lord, the God of Israel. The sacrificial work of Ruth in caring for her mother-in-law, Naomi, was no more or no less significant than the work of Boaz in his field. Both friends were very important. Both of their work was valuable. Ruth's work in caring for her mother-in-law, that was work. And it was valuable. Boaz's work in tending to his household and overseeing his fields and his harvest was important. And it was valuable. Both contributed to the overall health and well-being of the community that they were a part of. One's work was more social in nature, directed at the lives of the people she was caring for, while another's work was more physical in nature, laboring in his fields, overseeing his house. But both, friends, both have significant spiritual importance because both how we care for the people God places in our pathways and the gifts that God gives us demonstrate to the world around us both how we relate to and are motivated by Jesus. The work of both Ruth and Boaz would be rewarded by God. And Ruth had found a short rest in the fields of Boaz. She would find even more rest later in his home. But her refuge in church, our refuge as we sit here today, is in the same place as Ruth's refuge. Our hope is in the Lord. He is our sure and eternal rest. He is our refuge and strength. And as we care for both the people God has placed in our pathways and as we tend to the great gifts that he's given us here on earth, we must be reminded that when things are difficult in either one of these, caring for the people, or caring for the gifts, that when things are difficult, He remains our refuge. He remains our strength. He gives us the ability to do what He has called us to. It's amazing how this comes out later down the line. Later down Ruth's line, there's a psalmist whose name is King David, who happens to be Boaz and Ruth's grandson. And he would say this in Psalm 36, 7, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. 
sounds like something that his grandfather said to his grandmother right in this text, does it not? It's so beautiful. I was reflecting on these things the other day, and I was wondering, can you put yourself in David's shoes for a minute? All of the life experiences, all that his family knew, when he sit down to pen these beautiful hymns that we still recite and sing and refer to today, what was informing their content? A life and a history. God's provision. Again, in Psalm 57, verse 1, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. And of course, all of us can probably quote the beginning of Psalm 46. The Lord is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble. For Naomi, for Ruth, for Boaz, and all involved in this narrative, they would find their true full, and safest rest in the same place where we find ours today. The Lord is our refuge. For the third time now in verse 13, Ruth recognizes that she has found favor and she refers to Boaz as her Lord. Look at verse 13. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one. Of your servant. And isn't it amazing that a prayer that Naomi prayed all the way back in Ruth chapter 1, verse 8, remember this prayer? May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Here, friends, Ruth finds the kindness Naomi had hoped for in the house of Boaz. She who was unrecognizable is now recognized. She who was a foreigner, a stranger, an outsider, an alien was brought in close and treated as one of Boaz's own. And all of this clearly evidenced in verse 14. Take a look at the last verse of our text today. How amazing is this? A woman who comes to Boaz's fields empty-handed goes away full. And satisfied. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, eat some bread, dip your morsel in the wine. He sat beside the reapers. He passed to her roasted grain. She ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. The widowed and migrant Ruth came to the fields of Boaz in the same manner that she had come back to Bethlehem, empty hands open heart. And now not only is she satisfied, but her cup overfloweth. How great is the merciful and steadfast love of our God. He gives and he gives to us in abundance. Our Lord knows no limits. As I reflect on Boaz's treatment of Ruth this week, I'm reminded of the Lord's treatment of those of us who are here, those of us who are watching online, how the Lord treats those who belong to Him. Friends, we brought nothing. We were outsiders. And even worse, we were opposed to God. But the kindness of the Lord prevailed over us and led us to repentance. 
where God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By his grace, we've been saved. Then he invited us to his banqueting table and satisfied us with his abundance, raising us up, seating us with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. God took us in as his own. He adopted us into his family. He destroyed the oppression and poverty of sin that reigned over us. He granted us his kingdom as a kingdom of priests, power over sin and death, and gave us the never-ending riches of his eternal kingdom. What a great gift we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is amazing love, friends. This is unfathomable generosity. We cannot wrap our minds around it. And our response should be great thankfulness. Our hope, our refuge, our strength, they're in the hands of our Father who calls us His own forever. Our response should be joy and satisfaction. Friends, we can live satisfied. We live in the abundance of His grace and His mercy given to us in this very temporal space right here so that we might express the same love, the same grace, the same mercy towards others, so that they too might come to know and serve the one true living God. We are to receive others as we have been received. We are to love as we have been loved. We're to forgive as we have been forgiven, to show the grace that has been shown to us, to be merciful as God has demonstrated mercy to every one of us. To glorify God, our lives reflecting our gratitude and demonstrating that the love that we have been shown by Jesus is what motivates the love that we are showing others. For those of us who sit here today, who are in Christ Jesus, let us not forget that we were found in the same season of famine and difficulty, that we were the lost sheep with nothing of our own to contribute or to bring to God's field of abundance. And yet, God demonstrates his provision and protection in the sending of his son, Jesus, who saves us from the wages of our sin, death, providing for us the gift of eternal life. As our team comes this morning. Father, thank you for the example of Boaz in your word today. It is certainly inspiring and motivating. That one who lived in such a corrupt and difficult day where all around him were falling away, he remained steadfast and merciful. He chose to demonstrate the love that you had demonstrated to him. He chose obedience to your commands. And you used him, Father, in a mighty way. You drew Ruth into his fields. And because of his faith and his heart to follow you, he received her as one of his own. And Lord, through his character and through his example, you brought together a beautiful thing between he and Ruth. And one day, you produced your own son through their line. And for that, we owe you our deepest gratitude.
So Lord, our prayer as we go today is that we would be motivated to show the same love that we have been showed. That our faith would work and express itself in our lives. And that we would honor and glorify you in our words and our actions. Help us to love and be motivated by the example as well as in your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.